This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Nuts.com, the simple and convenient way to have nutritious, delicious, healthy nuts and other tasty treats delivered straight to your door. Get four free samples when you go to Nuts.com, click on the mic in the upper right-hand corner, and use code NOMEAT, one word. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 134 of No Meat Athlete Radio. I'm Matt Frazier, joined by my esteemed colleague, co-host, and award-winning running coach, Doug Hay. <laughs> Doug, how are things going on your end? Oh, things are bright and cheery here in the beautiful mountains of North Carolina. Yeah, you're just winning awards, racking up awards for your for your running coach. Every day, it seems like somebody wants to honor me in some way. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> We joke a lot. I, you are a legitimate running coach. I, we shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> I, I like to call you award winning just because, in my own mind, you are. But uh, but but you are, and you just and you you're knocking out marathons left and right. Yeah, just uh, two in the last three weeks. And you sort of coached a runner through. Uh, yeah, most of yeah. Time, right? one, one of my coaching clients is is somebody I I've known for a while, um, and he, uh, it's, I coached him for over the last twenty twenty four weeks. And up to last weekend's Asheville Marathon, and I ran it with him and paced him to his his goal time. It was a really fun day, mm-hmm. and a which good is experience. and held on the beautiful Biltmore Estate, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Good. How was that? I didn't. I mean, I asked you about the race, but how was? The, how did you like the uh, the course? Biltmore, of course, is, is the famous um, Vanderbilt Mansion in Asheville that is like the big tourist attraction here. Yeah, the largest house in America, <laughs> and the most visited winery in America. Oh, there you go. Not uh, not because their wines any good, but because they you have to visit the winery yeah, to, to, get, to, to get off the property. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that actually the the um, start and finish were at Antler Village, which is where the winery is, and you the course took you through a lot of the vineyards and around in front of the house. It, you know, it was a pretty nice course. There was a little bit of uh, looping back that I could have done without, mm-hmm. um, but it was fun. It, there were maybe nine miles of it were on dirt road, which was a little different. Um. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's it was neat to do the whole thing in the Biltmore. Yeah, I'd like to do that one one day. Being an Asheville resident, I feel like it's a, my duty to one day yeah. run that marathon. You should. All right, I will, Doug. Um. So we are today doing a little bit of a different kind of episode. Uh, it's an interview episode, but it is two snippets. I wouldn't say snippets. About half of interviews that we did uh, for the No Meat Athlete Academy, and the context here is that. Those listening may remember that a few months ago we did a uh, an episode of No Meat Athlete Radio called Start Your Movement, I think, and that uh, was a little bit different episode for us. We, we talked there, you and I, about how somebody would get started uh, with wanting, you know, wanting to do something, but it doesn't have to be to create a business or to do something that would allow them to quit their job. I mean, that wasn't really the point. It was start doing something in the world, you know, touching the world, pushing buttons in the world in some way. Um, to to have an impact, make a dent in the universe, whatever you want to call it, uh, mm-hmm. probably around this this veganism or sustainability topic, just because that's such a, a common thread among our audience, um, for good reason. So we talked about that that episode. We didn't really know how it was going to do, and I still don't know quite. I mean, it's not like it was uh, our most downloaded episode ever or anything like that. But we got amazing amount of emails from people who who just said like you know very passionately said thank you so much for that episode that's exactly what i needed to hear so you know it's it's a topic i think for for you and i or for you and me that that um 
is very meaningful. You know, this, this is a really big part of our lives, having done something different than the traditional route and running businesses that we that we think, uh, you know, that we really care about and that, that we think are good things in the world. So it was really great to get that feedback, and that's why we were following it up with this episode. Yeah, it, it was neat because I don't, I don't know if it touched everyone, but the people that it did touch, it seemed to really resonate well with those people, uh, which, you know, it's kind of a neat thing to do and, and a different way for us to approach an episode. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's why... Uh, about a month after that episode, we did a Nomad Athlete Academy module about that. That that's like a for those who don't know, the Academy is like is our private kind of membership site uh, that people get monthly modules, in depth content. And in this particular month, we focused on starting your movement. Uh, and for that, I put out a, an article, did a Q and A, shared a, a talk that I had given on this topic, and um, interviewed two friends of mine from. I've mentioned this a few times on on our show as well. Uh, a few years ago, I got to go visit Seth Godin in his office in New York, uh, along with fifteen others, I think, who he he sort of handpicked. And a bunch of them, actually four of us, were running vegan slash vegetarian. Or no, sorry, three of us were running vegan vegetarian businesses. Um, so I picked the other two people here uh, who were there, asked them if they would if they would come talk on our show, and that's what this episode is about. Uh, by the way, speaking of Seth Godin, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who just don't really know who he is, um, because you know, he, as as amazingly popular as he is in the marketing world, it's kind of easy to to not come across him if you're not in that world. <laughs> um, but anyway, he well, not if you listen to this podcast. Then no, probably... we we do mention him a lot here. Uh, he's someone who I consider a mentor, just such a force for good in the world, and. Um, he was recently on the Tim Ferriss podcast. That's what I wanted to mention. The, the Tim Ferriss show is another podcast that we have mentioned a few times. I really do like listening to um, the interviews that that Tim does there, uh, regardless of what you may think of Tim Ferriss, which I know a lot of people don't don't uh, aren't his biggest fans. I think the guests that he has on the show are amazing, and the advice they have is amazing. And this particular episode, the Seth Godin episode, uh, which we will link to in our show notes um, at nomadathlete.com slash radio dash one three four. Uh, was a really good episode. It was like two hours long, which I know is long, but just lots of, of good Seth talking about different habits and audiobooks that he recommends and regular books that he recommends and all kinds of really good things. So that's a great episode. Uh, highly suggest that you listen to that. And that's, you know, he, his his philosophies, you will hear them run through these interviews because, that, you know, those of us who went to this event of his were really big fans of his. That's how we found out about this offer or this, I don't know if you'd call it a contest or what, to go to go spend a week with him. Um, so those who, who were selected, needless to say, were very passionate fans of his and uh, people putting his philosophies to work. So uh, you'll hear him mentioned and you will, even without that, just sort of, I think, sense what, um, you know, the philosophies that are kind of behind the way all of us kind of run our businesses. Um and, and have created our movements. So, um, on that note, let's let's uh, get to them. The first one we're going to do is with Leanne Hilgart. Uh, she is the founder, CEO, and creative director at a company called Vote Couture, which is a fashion company. And Vote, I, this is well, I'm not even going to try. There's a there's a sort of French connection here. Um, is it is it H A U T E? Is it spelled? Is it is it pronounced Hote? You know that, Doug? You're fat. I, I have no idea. Not oat. a clue. Okay, I'm looking it up, and it looks like it is Oat. You don't even say the H. Oat. Um, oat Couture. Yes. But, so, but her company is called Vote. So she put a V in front of it, as in vote for, you know, veganism or ah. animal friendliness. So it's Vote Couture. And 
you know, high-end vegan fashion, really cool company. Um, the the URL, I believe, is just vote.com, but let me make sure that. Should have prepared that in advance. Um, go to votecouture.com. It's V-A-U-T-E-C-O-U-T-U-R-E.com, and we will also link to that, of course, in the show notes. So that's Leanne's episode. Uh, you'll hear her talk about how she started her business, uh, whether or not going to business school was valuable or whether it was just a, a way to procrastinate, a um, bunch of other things, struggles that she encountered, how she got her first customer, all these kind of really interesting things uh, that happened to her on the way to building a high-end vegan fashion company. And after that interview is done, we will come back and uh, introduce the next one. All right. All right. Let's get to it. Hey everyone, Matt here. I am with my friend Leanne Hilgart, who is the founder, and I don't guess if she's the CEO or what uh, you call yourself, Leanne, of, <laughs> of Vogue Couture, which is a, a, a very cool vegan fashion company. Uh, I'll let you explain much more, but is that the right, is that the title? Or are you the founder and CEO? I don't know, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could just say founder or CEO and creative director. It's one of those things where at this point I do both of those things. So, yes. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Um, and we should clarify for people who are listening to this but not uh, not seeing it, the vote is spelled V-A-U-T-E. That's uh, right. Which, of course, is a nice nice double meaning, I guess, with that I learned from you that you're that you when you when you buy from vote, you're you're voting for with your money and with your I guess your time and energy for uh, this animal friendly fashion. So everything that you do, of course, is uh, vegan, and and yeah. you yourself are are committed and, and very passionate. Vegan, which I think is wonderful, and I think uh, I think people are going to really Thanks. enjoy listening to you tell your story, and we kind of dive into how you got started, uh, maybe you know struggles, mistakes, the stuff that worked out really well, just to kind of help people figure out uh, what they might do in this space. Because uh, I mean, my my perspective, of course, I've I've got the the blog sort of thing handled. I know how to how to tell people about how to run a, a blog based sort of business. The reason I wanted to have you and Andy, both of whom are my friends from uh, Seth Godin's Agenda Session, where we all met, uh, is to give people a different perspective, like a different, you know, a look at different types of businesses so that it's not all from my perspective about like the way to get started with a business is start blogging about your interests. Mm. I don't think that's how you started. Um, Mm -mm. So can you just give us like the background? um, I mean, whatever you want to say about your company that that I kind of left out, but also kind of how it got started. Sure. So um, I have been an animal activist since I was a kid. Um, I was actually would coordinate my friends to make art that we would sell door to door to raise money for the local humane society. So um, I kind of think who you are as a child is a great role model for who you can be as as an adult after you stop thinking about what people tell you you're good at or you should do or whatever. So when I thought about it, when I was, I wanted to be a school principal, actually, in college, my undergraduate degree is in education and philosophy. Um, And when I thought about it, and I said, that's not for me, I'm terrible at following rules. um, But what is it that has always felt really natural for me? And the things that I was as a kid was someone who loved talking to strangers, loved creating art and loved sticking up for others, specifically animals. Um, and so when I went veg at 10 and I did my social studies fair report on 
um, factory farming vivisection and the fur industry. I named it Being Cruel Isn't Cool, which ended up being a t-shirt slogan I sold <laughs> when I was um, in grade school. Um, that ended up being something where, you know, it's it's very intrinsic for me to try to raise awareness about animals by creating something that people want. So when I was looking at what I should do, I ended up getting into marketing. And then the CEO was super young and I could see that she was making an impact on women's lives around the country um, without even really that being her focus. You know, she's making such a difference by um, creating a service. It was uh, the founder of Sitter City, which is basically like a match.com for parents and babysitters. And working for her, I could see that business was a great avenue of being a megaphone for your actions. So if I could create a business that in itself made an impact with, you know, every time we make something or every time we um, promote something or talk to talk to someone about something, that's an exponential impact that I can make over as an individual. So I basically decided to go back to get to school to get my MBA, fill out the parts of my business acumen that I had no idea in, like accounting, <laughs> and um, figure out, you know, where it was it in the world that I was needed most. Um, how can I make the biggest impact with the tools from my life that I've received just on accident or by whim? Because I really believe that everyone has um, has a life that winds and, and twirls and does all of these things, and it's not a straight line. And we, we look at that like it's a bad thing. But when you look back, you realize that if you followed your heart in various directions, it ended up giving you resources that no one else has. And if you want to make an impact on the world, you can make an impact using those tools in a way that no one else can. It's your own specific voice. It's your own specific toolbox. And that ends up being a great basis for creating a business that is yours and yours alone and that no one can compete on you with because they don't have the same tools. So, cool. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Um, especially with the last part. I mean, I think, I think that's totally right. A lot of people do have uh, kind of an insecurity about this. Um, you know, thinking that like they they can't start a business because they're not the expert or because they can find somebody who they think is more an expert than they are. Mm. So therefore, the natural conclusion is I shouldn't even try because that person already right. has me beat. Um, right. But I, I've I've fallen back mm. on that kind of reasoning myself a lot of times that no one really has my exact same background. So, you know, I'm going to connect with someone who, who this other person isn't. And, and, and similarly, exactly. they're going to connect with someone who I'm not. Um, so right. yeah, I think, I think there's room for everybody if you're, if you're doing something unique and, uh, and the way to, to really make it unique is to make it something only you could do. So that's right. cool. Um, I had no yeah. idea, or maybe I knew about your MBA, but I had forgotten about it. Oh yeah. Um, Drop out, but yes. <laughs> you dropped out of it? Yeah. The last, I was, uh, I decided to model in Hong Kong the summer after, um, the summer before my last semester of the program. I mean, it was just a two year program, but the first year was like most of it. Uh -huh. full-time. And then I was modeling in Hong Kong the, the summer after that. And that's where I started to really run through a lot of ideas, like to think about where could I be used the most um, for the animals. And that's when I hit upon the idea of creating coats since I'm from Chicago and <laughs> you need terribly w warm coats to survive a Chicago winter. And I realized that if I created something that was better than wool, better than down, um, that it wouldn't even need to be a market for vegans. It's a market for people who need warm coats that are beautiful. And then those people maybe can start to think about what they wear, what they buy and what they eat. So that's my real market. Gotcha. But yeah, that's cool. when I started it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
I am also a, a graduate school dropout, so that's kind of cool. Nice. Um, <laughs> High five. What I, I wonder, though, because when you first said that, I was surprised just that you even had gone to get an MBA because if I was talking to someone who, who said, hey, I, I realized that I want to have a bigger impact in the world and I want to start my own business, um, so what I'm going to do is go get my MBA. You know, I would, I would, be, I would tell them, don't do that. And I don't, I don't honestly know that much about MBAs, but <laughs> I would say like 95% chance you were doing this because you're procrastinating because this is an easier thing to do mm. than actually start, right? I mean, to, to sure. go It's a very say, Seth Godin thing to, to say. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> um, so, but I, I don't know if it was that for you or not. I'm, I'm curious. Mm, um, do you think it really helped a, a ton and like something you would go back and do again? Um, this is, this is really interesting. Um, because, you know, I worked on two or three business plans before I started getting my MBA. And when I was doing that, um, I really just, it really just felt so not real. Like it really just felt like a project. Uh Um, and I was really into the business ideas, but I didn't, they didn't feel like they could be real one day. And then when I decided to get my MBA, there was something about learning these different aspects of business while having um, you know, a conceptual business plan to actually think about at the same time as a real application of those lessons that started to get me feeling like it could be real. And then, um, when I actually did some business plan competitions in college at, um, during my MBA and nobody understood my ideas there, it, it was, it was interesting. I mean, when I got out of it, um, I looked back and I realized that I don't know how much I actually learned so much as that I just became more comfortable right. with these different aspects of business. And, and honestly, probably for the most part, I realized that I already knew what I was doing. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense that, that you would, that but even, that's, I mean, but that's really important. You yeah. know? Oh, totally. I yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, just if, if what I taught you was that you don't need more business school and like you have, <laughs> you know, you have what it takes. Uh, then that's valuable, right? I mean, yeah, or like working for someone else for another 10, 20 years. Like, I realized that I already, that I already knew my instincts were right. You know, I realized that when I went to marketing class, I was like, I get this already. Like, it, it was good just to know that because as an entrepreneur, probably, I would say, I don't know if you feel like this, but probably one of the top things that an entrepreneur needs is to make quick decisions and to just go with it, to feel, to be confident that what they're deciding um, they can take action on. Cause otherwise you just sit in like a world of maybe, maybe not. And then nothing gets done and you know, then that's it. So you end up stalling, but um, knowing going to class and seeing that I already knew what I was doing. It meant that when I did start vote, I didn't have to go, well, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never run a business before. Like how would I know now I need to ask 20 experts. Now I need to pay 20 consultants. Now I need to ask, a million people each decision. And it was like, no, you don't like, you already know what you're doing enough. No one knows what they're doing. <laughs> Honestly, that's probably the biggest thing too. It's just knowing that no one actually knows what they're doing, you know, but, yep. but I know enough that like, it's, I don't need to keep going to school. I don't need to have five co-founders. I don't need to have, you know, whatever, lots and lots of money or any of those things. You know, I can just start. Good. Great. Um, so you, so, I mean, so you didn't have the idea then yet for vote when you were in business school, correct? You didn't get that well, until later? I, I had it, if you consider in the summer between business school years in which I quit business school to be in business school, I mean, yes, I had the idea in business school, but okay. not really. It was the summer after before I quit. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, let's see. So, so I know, so you told us where the idea came from, um, 
how then how did you actually make make the the leap from you were you said you were doing modeling right yeah and then I, I I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there who just will get an idea and then just say okay I don't just don't know where to start I don't know how to actually yeah. like, how do I start actually having a business mm. um what what mm. did you do did you like did you go put together a business plan and get get funding and all that sort of mm. thing or did you just do it kind of bootstrapped no business plan no funding okay. um basically I think probably the best thing I did which I wouldn't necessarily recommend is I gave myself an impossible deadline (laughs) and I said, you know, um, it's summer of 2008 and I want to start a coat line. And if I don't start now, cause I'm not a patient person. So I couldn't have possibly looked and been like, Oh, proper fashion line, you know, develops a collection, a collection a year early, right? A year before it's supposed <laughs> right. to come out. And then a company, you should probably spend like another year building, right? But I don't, I'm not patient at all. So there's no way they would have looked at it and been like, oh, pr- proper scheduling. I should be planning now to launch in like a year and a half, two years. But I, there's no way I would do that. So instead, in the summer, I was like, I want to launch a coat line. It should be out for this winter. <laughs> so I'm going to do everything I can to make this coat line launch in like essentially two months, which is completely ridiculous. But because I did that, I could never second guess myself. I could never stop. I could never like dilly dally. There was no procrastination because there just wasn't any time for it. So it was kind of like, I don't know. It's one of those things where you realize how dumb you were and like (laughs) how stupid could I be to think that anyone would make a line. And even with like existing fabrics, like for us, it's like they're all innovative textiles. That alone should take six months to a year to develop. But I just was an idiot. And um, luckily I just went with it. So, So, I mean, so, okay, that's amazing, first of all. Um, (laughs) Thanks. How... I mean, where did you get the the confidence to do that, or how did you even the like the know how, like like to to do innovative fabrics? I mean, stuff that's like, or, or sorry, whatever. I don't know the terminology. Textiles. Yeah, textiles. Um, either same. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like so many hurdles to get over for for an individual who who doesn't have a background in this space. <laughs> like, how did you? How did you like? I don't know. I guess I guess partially like psychologically. How did you say? I can I can do this, and like it's okay that I'm just one person, and it's okay that I don't yeah. have any funding. How did you how did you get yourself in the space where you could do that? And then more specifically and kind of practically, like, I don't know, wh- like, where did you go to begin finding people who knew how to make innovative textiles? Yeah. Um, okay. So I think that firstly, I looked at it as, you know, how could I break down anything into um, – into pieces that I already know. So fashion is really just business and art. And I was always the artist growing up. And business I understood from, you know, working in businesses, running like startup nonprofit campaigns, things like that. And so I've worked, when I started groups in college, you know, we work with zero budget and volunteers and we could make, you know, really fun, awesome things happen. So my brain just operates in this very grassroots way. Um, and my parents are both scientists, they all, so I'm, I love problem solving. But when I look at it and I say, okay, fashion seems so mysterious. Well, if it's just business and art, I, I know business and I know art. Okay, so I broke it down to that. And then how do you break it down per project? Okay, first we look at how do you research textiles? Well, it's really just homework. It's just like thinking about, you know, what are the different 
qualifiers that you're looking for? And then what are similar things that you can find that kind of fit that description? And then just kind of like going, going, going and continuing to research and experiment and test and like, um, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's just like knowing that that process itself is, is its own journey and it's, and it's own fun to it while knowing that you may never actually get there. <laughs> um, and so what's, what's interesting is that I think I never thought we wouldn't get there because I felt like this was my mission and that if I didn't do this, then I didn't know who would or when they would. And, mm -hmm. and I wanted to do it. So I just looked at my life and I said, you know, why not? Why not me? I'm going to do this. And then um, just knew that I would do anything it took to make it happen. So when you know you'll do anything it takes to make something happen, it, you just keep going one step at a time, you know, yep, until, that's, it, that's, until it happens. That's such a good insight. I mean, it's, it's absolutely it's something I've, I've mentioned before, but have, have kind of forgotten like from those early days. But that, that was kind mm -hmm. of what the driver was. Like, I'm going to find a way to make this happen one way or another. So like, you know, let's get on with it and just keep trying the next yep. thing. Yep, uh, exactly. That, that's so, so important. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Thanks. Um, what about your first sale or your first customer? Was it was it like yeah. to, a, <laughs> to a store or some other um, no. retailer or was it to individuals? So I started, I decided to start um, both in the bottom of the recession. Um, <laughs> it's really, really smart. Wait, what, awesome. what year was this, by the way? Uh, okay, so summer of 2008 is when I was in Hong Kong and came up with the idea. And then I actually had been previously working on a concept from a business plan competition, which was very diluted. It was um, just what I, it was more what I thought people would want um, that we could get funding for or whatever. So that concept, I already had web guys in place and an illustrator in place. So when I came up with a concept, I emailed them and I was like, listen, I'm, I'm still in Hong Kong, but I want you guys to get started on this because if we don't get started, well, we're making coats for this winter. So we have to get started now. <laughs> So we started on the website and the illustrations for the website that summer and then a failed launching that winter, which of course, there's no way we could have done that. And then um, after I felt like a disappointment and brushed myself off, I've continued development and then we ended up uh, photographing them and launching the following spring, hoping for retail orders. Since it was the bottom of the recession, boutiques weren't taking new orders, let alone most of them were closing. So retailers were, you know, specifically in like the ethical fashion sphere, just smaller boutiques were all um, closing during the bottom of the recession. Mm -hmm. So um, someone asked if they could pre-order a coat and it was the summer and um, I did the math and realized if they pre-ordered a coat, we could also fund the production of someone else's coat. <laughs> so this was great news. And I spent three, the next three days with my web guys from Missouri building, um, basically a pre-order system. This is before Kickstarter was popular or Indiegogo, I think was just doing films at the time. And, um, I was like, this is great. We'll give people a discount to ordering early, um, for being in this with us and then we'll make their coat. So I launched for pre-orders and I remember our first sale, I think was, it was less than a half hour after I made it live. Wow. And I was just like shocked. I was like, this, it was like, it worked. <laughs> it's actually worked. People actually meant it. They really want to buy something from me. This is great. <laughs> so, um, so then, yeah, we ended up, uh, funding the entire first production run from pre-orders. Um, 
because the savings that I put in to vote all went into the website and the marketing, which because of the failed original launch date, we actually had a longer lead time to get people interested in what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So because of that, we ended up having, you know, longer time for people to be like, cool, what are you working on? Ooh, awesome. You know? Right. So. Yeah. So how'd you get those first few people to even find it? Like it was the first person, a friend who, who asked about pre-order? Yeah, no, actually. Well, the first person who asked about pre-order saw a blog post that the girly girl army put up about vote. Um, because since we were the first ones to make vegan coats, um, that were dress coats, she was really excited. Um, Chloe, Chloe Jo Davis, the founder of girly girl army was really excited. And she posted this. And the way she found out was because she was working at farm sanctuary at the time and I was doing, uh, we donated some of our sales from one of the coats to Farm Sanctuary. So she was like their celebrity liaison or events or something at the time. I can't remember exactly. Um, but she heard about what we were doing. I went up to Farm Sanctuary and she was so excited and was like, no one's doing this. This hasn't been mm-hmm. done. And then she did a blog post and that's when people started being like, can we pre-order coats? Wow. So that was definitely a big part of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's something I've noticed as well. Just how, I mean, how fortunate anyone is to be doing a business in this space, like a business that that has this ethical side to it. it doesn't have to be a vegan thing, but like something where there's a cause attached to the business that you're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, because like if it was just normal coats, it would have been probably much more difficult to get a blogger um of any stature to write about what you were doing. Totally. Right. But but because it had this ethical side to it, uh, that that automatically resonates with a huge crowd of people. Um, it, it's, it's, it, same thing happened with me and blog posts. People would share blog posts, I think just because it was, they wanted to support a vegan or vegetarian at that time yeah. uh, thing without even knowing if, if it was going to be any good. They just wanted to support it. So that's a huge, huge help. Yeah. I mean, I think too, though, it has to be that the quality is there, you know, the quality has to be that you're, you're doing something that, and you are obviously doing something that itself has value. And so then people are like, wow. This person, you know, went above and beyond over what would be easy uh-huh. to do just to create something conventional. And they're and they're doing this because they care about animals like we do, you know? Right, right. So, yeah. All right, so that was Leanne Hilgart. Uh, hope you got something out of that one. And next up, we've got Andy Levitt, founder of The Purple Carrot. But first, Doug, let's thank our sponsor. This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Nuts.com. Nuts.com is the simple and convenient way to have nutritious, delicious, healthy nuts and other tasty treats delivered straight to your door. They even have several of the foods or ingredients we recently talked about in the seven popular food trends episode. They have turmeric powder, matcha green tea, tart cherries, and many of the other ingredients that we love to throw in our smoothies. That's right. And in fact, I just got my very first Nuts.com order in which I got lots of things that I actually am currently throwing into my smoothies, literally throwing into my smoothies. (laughs) Um, Matcha, which we did mention in that seven popular food trends episode. Pecan date rolls, which I'm not putting in the smoothie, but I am eating them as a pre-workout snack. Uh, goji berry powder and wheatgrass and when i opened up my the box they sent me to my surprise i found in there a little sample pack of actual whole goji berries so Mm. i appreciated that Uh, but of course they have much more than that you can choose from over three thousand healthy snacks and ingredients there right now new customers get four free samples of 15 dollars value when you go to nuts.com click on the mic in the upper right hand corner and enter my code no meat that's nuts.com and enter my code no meat for four free samples with your order 
All right, now turning our attention to Andy Levitt, founder and CEO of The Purple Carrot. Uh, the Purple Carrot, for those who don't know, and many probably will know about this one, just because I'm guessing the audience is a somewhat broader audience than uh, than vegan fashion. Um, <laughs> I mean, not to, not any knock on vegan fashion. It's just, you know, by by nature probably attracts fewer... Everybody uh, eats, not everybody wears fashion forward Yeah, exactly, clothing. exactly. Like only only Doug of us two wears fashion forward clothing. Exactly. I yep. my mom literally my mom still shops for me most of the time. I don't <laughs> I don't put in a lot of effort to go get my to get clothes. It's just not a high priority for me. Uh, so when my mom visits, she'll say, "Hey, Matt, I got you these uh, jeans." When I was at whatever Old Navy, <laughs> Old Navy is as fashion forward as is it that, gets. Is that still where you get your jeans? But... Yeah. All right. Good. Now you know what? Recently, actually, Old Navy has uh, is also, I guess, owned. By the same, it's the same thing, same factory as Banana Republic and The Gap. Little yep. known, actually, not probably not a little known, widely known fact there. Um, <laughs> so, oftentimes, what I will do is use credit card rewards points to get a gift card that will work at any of those stores. Oh. And what I like to do is take that gift card not to Old Navy, but to The Gap or Banana Republic. There you go. Well, shopping hack for you. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, anyway, as we were saying, um, <laughs> I, I just I know of a lot of people who have tried purple carrot. I think vegan fashion is somewhat more of a niche thing. Um, but anyway, purple carrot is is vegan meal delivery. Andy was inspired by uh, watching Forks Over Knives actually, and uh, created this business that delivers vegan meals, almost entirely whole food, to your door. Um, and in just a few years, I mean, I guess it's been maybe maybe a year and a half now since they launched uh they they've really reached a lot of people just recently brought on mark Bittman, who of course is the uh new york times author new york times writer and popular food author um i guess in sort of an advisory role so anyway they've done some really cool stuff uh lots of people have tried them and uh, i've even done a few little things with them here and there so yeah you've you've ordered some of their food right yes i have ordered their food and then um did some sort of promotion. I don't know what it was, but but shared some some of their stuff, maybe maybe around the holidays or something. I don't really remember what it was, but yes, um, I, I like that stuff. When people ask about how do you how do you eat vegan cheaply, or you know how do you find the time to eat healthily, I really do think those meal delivery services are a fantastic way to start uh, because they they send you all the stuff already pre chopped and prepped for the most part. So basically, all you're doing is throwing stuff together, and it seems like that would be really expensive. And maybe there are some. I guess depending on what what sources and if it's all organic or what, that probably can get crazily expensive. But I think because they can buy in bulk and and do things efficiently, uh, you end up not paying all that much more than you would pay if you just went to the grocery store and get the, to get the stuff. Huh. Um, so it's nice. It takes care of meal planning. Takes care of a lot of the prep work, and not something that we typically do that often, just because we kind of do like to cook. But very very good um, way to get started if if you are if those things are hurdles for you. Yeah. So anyway, um, we're going to jump in sort of into the middle of Andy's interview, which is why I gave that little bit of extended introduction of what he does. Um, but he shared some really good stuff. We talk about Seth Godin's stuff, some of his favorite books to recommend, and um, other good stuff like that. So let's, uh, let's get to it. Something um, the other day, I think it was on Instagram, and it said, definition of an entrepreneur was someone who jumps off a cliff and builds a plane on the way down. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I've I've heard similar things to that one, and uh, I think it. And actually, when I've heard that quote before, I've always thought, you know, that that doesn't quite seem like the right definition to me, because um, that that's really not been what my experience has been. And I think that there is exactly the line between the, the different approaches that we've taken from from my business and your current one. 
um, yeah. that, you know, th- there's the lower risk way to do things where you almost have to invest nothing other than your time and depending on the business, of course. And then there's this, this other one where when it works, you can, you can get there much, much faster as, as it seems that you're doing. Yeah. Um, so how did you get the, the very first customer? Did you, did you, and cause I think that's kind of a, maybe a stumbling block for people is, um, maybe they can envision someone buying from them. But the question is, how do you actually get someone to find out about your product and then go online and pull out their credit card and, and place an order for it? Uh, where, how, how'd the first person find out about your business? Was, was it just family and friends? Yeah. So it was really much, um, very much word of mouth. Um, over the summer, uh, I guess we created a Facebook page for the business and, you know, I remember we had, uh, I think I had seven people liking the business, <laughs> uh, liking the page. And then um, my wife one night sent out some post, like complimenting me for, you know, sort of taking the risk and, you know, having just shipped out like 24 test boxes to people around the country. It was right after our set time. And uh, it all of a sudden went from like seven people to like 250 people, you know, kind of like in a day. And I was so excited about that. And built up a, had sort of a waiting, you know, sort of a, a landing page that people could put in their email address to opt in when we launched. And I might have had, I don't know, four or 500 email addresses at that time too. And um, when I launched, you know, you're so, I was so nervous that nobody was going to buy. And I think in the first two weeks, I might have had 36 orders or something. Huh. You know? And it was, it was both daunting to think, oh my God, how am I going to pack 36 orders you know, by myself? And also really scary to think, oh my God, I've only got 36 orders. Right. Uh, but, you know, and then it was like, okay, ship them all out. And, you know, the very next morning I got a call first thing and I was so excited. And this person said, oh, is this Andy from the Purple Carrot? And I said, yeah. And they said, um, well, I just got this box and all the salsa that you put in had exploded Oh. And I was, you know, I was so upset and it was actually the woman from FedEx who was the driver that like this, one of these boxes that we'd shipped out had completely gotten smashed up in transit. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, this is going to be a lot harder than I thought. Uh-huh. Um, you know, but you get the first customer and you follow up and focus on customer service and then hoping that, you know, you've created a remarkable enough product that people feel compelled to tell their friends about it and, lo and behold we had people ordering the next week and the week after that and that was much more like you know drip 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 to get through and um you know you're just um it just takes a lot of faith and persistence that you're going to get there great so i'm I'm glad you mentioned uh, a remarkable product because this is a good a good time to shift to uh to seth godin and what you've learned from him uh for anyone listening to this who hasn't you know done done the background work on seth uh Purple Cow is probably his his I would, I would imagine his most famous book. Um, even if well, I don't know. Permission marketing was also maybe more classic, but Purple Carrot yeah. or Purple Carrot um, Purple Cow is, is where he talks about the remarkable product and having something that is as remarkable as a Purple Cow would be. Uh, that that people will will stand up and take notice of that because it's it's different from everything else and it's it's worth talking about, worth remarking on. Um, so I know that that you, as someone who who read his blog and, and applied and got accepted to his group, had that background already. You know, understood his teachings and everything. What uh, would you say? What came out of the agenda sessions, being there with him for a week, with just I guess fourteen others of us? Um, what what did that change about your approach, or what what was your your big takeaway from that? That's a great question. Um, 
you know, being with Seth for a week and with everyone else was a life-changing experience. Um, the biggest takeaway for me was that everyone can get scared, um, Seth included, and that uh, it takes a lot of courage to leap out there, but that, um, you know, if you, that it's, I think one of the, maybe what stayed with me so much is the idea that Seth talked about that it's, it's you're, you you want to play an infinite game, mm-hmm. right? And that ties into his statements about this might work, this might not work, and that if you approach this with so much tension that this has got to work, oh my god, you're going to freak out that you, you'll you know probably won't enjoy it, and you won't be as successful. Um, but to be a little bit more loose about how you're approaching things and having the wisdom to know, you know, kind of goes to like the dip ideas of when to quit and when to stick it out. Um, that it's um, important to be able to have that visibility so that you can continue to play your next games. If you bet everything on this and you lose, you can't play again for a really long time. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, and so it was just recognizing that it is, um, being an entrepreneur is um, almost a requirement of those of us who have the, um, the itch to do that and that it is difficult work but that's sort of like the important thing that one has to do. And, um, you know, you've got to just show up every single day and ship your best work. And it's not easy and not everyone can do it, but that it's, um, it's sort of an honor and responsibility to dive into it and embrace it. I love that. That's, that's perfect. And I think, uh, such, such a theme of the week, Leanne mentioned some things that are, that are very similar to that. Um, also, for those listening, he did Seth did release uh, an audio program. I think it's about th- two or three hours long called Leap First that he recorded while we were there with him. And uh, his book, What to Do When It's Your Turn, which I don't think is in bookstores, but you can get on Amazon or from his site, uh, was kind of inspired by those same ideas. And, and Andy and I and Leanne and everyone else there is actually in the book. We're mentioned in, um, on a little little two-page spread of picture of us, which is, which is cool. So, I mean, all those ideas are there for somebody who's interested in, in learning more about um, – you know, that sort of, I don't know, the motivation, inspiration side of this rather than the, the technical stuff, but with a lot of uh, good instruction in there too. Yep. Um, okay, so let's, I want to ask you two more things quickly, kind of specific to the plant-based thing you're doing, um, and then and then we'll get you out of here. Uh, obviously, I mean, we're, we're kind of both in our businesses riding a wave that is, that is rising uh, or a tide that is rising, and that's this cool. whole plant-based and sustainable movement. And, you know, the, every reason to hope that it keeps happening that way, not just for our businesses, but uh, for, for the good of the planet and people and animals and everything else. Um, how much of, of your marketing and your education and your trying to convince people to buy your product? Because, I mean, as, I guess if that, if that sounds sleazy in any way to people, I mean, it is what you've got to do. You ultimately have to get people to, to pay for your product. Yeah. Um, how much of that is about educating about this diet and the importance of eating this way in general versus saying, hey, we have the best service or, you know, our food's going to be really good. Like how much is, is buy from us and how much is eat plant-based? Uh, you know, when I first started, it was buy from us and, um, you know, we're a plant-based meal kit and this will be really cool and different and interesting for you to try. Uh, but over the last, I don't know, maybe nine months or thereabouts, uh, the recognition of the strong connection of plant-based on our health and on the environment and on animal rights has become so much more pronounced for me. 
Um, it's partly why I brought on Mark Bittman as my business partner with this to help raise the awareness of uh, plant-based eating and, you know, almost part-time veganism and, you know, appealing to uh, a flexitarian um, audience uh, in a way because, you know, we're not preaching veganism, we're just preaching the value of, of plant-based eating and helping people get there, you know, two or three nights a week. Uh, the underpinning behind it, though, needs to come through loud and clear around, you know, sort of the mission and um, just core benefit side of why people should eat more plant-based. Um, so it's, uh, to me, it's going to be a big focus of our 2016 efforts to educate because I think once people learn about this and the genie's out of the bottle, it's pretty hard to, you know, for them to put it back in. Right, right. So on a similar note, um, I've seen a few other I guess I guess you'd call them competitive businesses that are that are offering plant based things, and I know one of your big concerns in in at the Seth Godin thing, probably less a concern now, was that you know some some company that's already established could just start a plant based arm of their company and start sure. doing that. Um, not so much with that, but more with the smaller companies that that are trying to do the same thing. How do you how do you approach that um, in terms of I mean it's competition, and yet. What what they want, the bigger thing that they want, aside from making a living for themselves and growing a, a company that lasts and matters, um, you know, is, is this this shared goal of of changing the world in this way? How do you deal with that when when it's when yes, you're competing, but you kind of want the same thing in the long term? So you know, the my business is a lot more successful thanks to the good work that the guys from Blue Apron played at HelloFresh and other. Uh, business other meal kits have done to date because it's made people more aware of what a meal kit even is um, and where we come in is providing something that you know they currently do not offer which is a plant-based um, you know sort of uniquely plant-based and only plant-based um, to me um, you know while we might be a niche player um, you know, I guess if those guys come out in the vegan line, it's it's probably only going to further validate our spot in the market mm-hmm. uh, and the offer that we have, and you know why this you know should be something, in my opinion, that most everyone should be doing. Um, it's not limited to those who are are vegan. Um, certainly, it's uh, much bigger than that, and to me, it becomes you know um, almost the new American diet, as we've referred to ourselves before. Um, and uh, creating that opportunity for people to um, do better for themselves and for their families and their health and the environment and animals. Um, so the competitive set, you know, I, I I think about it a lot. I get asked about it a lot by uh, potential investors and those who have invested. Um, but again, I think sort of the expression that a rising tide lifts all ships uh, would appear uh, or would apply here. But I also think that we are unique in that our DNA is squarely centered around plant-based as sort of the only way. Um, and that's, that would be inconsistent with the values that those guys offer because it's, you know, right. that, that's not what they're about, right. uh, which is okay too, you know? Um, yep. So great. All right. Well, Andy, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate this um, to, to send people off with just a, a next step. Can you recommend any sort of books or, or resources, things that really, um, you know, on a very deep level kind of, kind of have motivated you or, or spoken to you, uh, to, to create change in the world and, and, and do work that matters. So, um, you know, art of the start was great from a, you know, that, that got me going back in 20, you know, 2006. Um, though I think I learned about Guy Kawasaki from Seth, uh, interestingly enough. <laughs> um, but, 
if it was a Seth book, um, Lynchpin is probably the one that really spoke to me so much that um, I, I think is a must read and um, you know makes you realize how important it is to do that kind of work and um, and I, I encourage my staff to also be linchpins in our own organization and so it's both for me and for the people with whom I work um, was really um, significant. Great. All right, Andy, again, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to talk to you about this. Uh, thank you for the work that you're doing with the Purple Carrot. I can speak for everyone uh, listening to this when I say that we appreciate it. And uh, it's, it's great to catch up with you again. Likewise. Thanks for having me, man. All right. I'll talk to you later. Cheers. Bye.